want to ask a question. So what now? Before we start, what now since Christmas is over? Okay? The, we're, we're about to go into the new year. Decorations are being taken down. What do we do now? After we've experienced and reflected upon love come down and walk among us and live among us, one theologian and activist Howard Thurman says this. He says that when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, and to make music in the heart. We just spent a month during Advent reflecting on Christ coming to bring his rescue into this world. And now we have an opportunity to respond We have an opportunity to respond to what Christ has done for us. He stepped into our world to come and rescue us, to save us. Last week on Christmas Eve, I gave 10 implications for the incarnation of Christ. When Christ took on flesh and he dwelt among us, there's a a number of implications of, of what that means for us. What, what the Bible uh, highlights there in that Christ stepped into our world. He came to rescue us, but he also came to show us. He sh- came to set a pattern of life for us and how we are to live, namely in love. Namely in love. Jesus told his disciples, as, as I have loved you, love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Michael Green says that love is the most attractive quality in the world, and it lies at the heart of Christianity. We are about that here. Every year around this time, we spend uh, some time on Sundays focusing in on our vision and on our values. We are here to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. Very simple uh, we have eight core values that, that we have listed, um, and loving community, uh, faithful prayer, um, joyful generosity, radical um, discipleship, and, and, a, and a few others there. And so during this time, we, we focus in on some of the basics of, our, of, of Christianity, and, and one of those is, is love. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 in the story of the Good Samaritan, as it's called. The Good Samaritan. Let me just read briefly about a story of a, quote, Good Samaritan. Okay, this is a term that, that you're, you're perhaps familiar with. Uh, there are laws, like Good Samaritan laws, to protect those who are helping those in need. Um, there are ministries named after the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan is a, is a famous story known by many. And uh, there's a story in, in 2021 of a, of a man who was helping during the, the, the snowstorm in Austin, Texas, a man who helped about 150 people stranded by the side of the road in Austin, Texas. A brutal winter storm was battering the state, and uh, one of the news stations 
interviewed him and talked to him. And he said, well, put yourself in their shoes. If you're sitting on the side of the road with your wife and kids and you're freezing in the car and it's not running and you don't have anywhere to go and you don't have anyone to call, what do you do? And so he, he used his resources to get out there and help people get off the side of the road. We commend that kind of thing in our society. That's a good thing, right? We all want to be that. And when we're in trouble, we want somebody to come to our rescue. We want somebody to be thinking about us as well. I, I remember when I first got saved, I would do this Often and oftentimes I would be late for work because I would see people on the side of the road and I would pull over and I would try to help them out. And I had a little cardboard sign in my car that said, Jesus loves you. And I would hold it up as I was driving down the road. And I had bumper stickers on my car and I wanted everybody to know about the love of Jesus. So I sought to express that and declare that in every way that I could. Okay. And there are times where I still get a chance to, to stop, uh, to help people out. Actually, just recently I was with, uh, Jacob and we were, uh, coming back from a, from a short drive there and we saw somebody on the side of the road who was broke down and it just happened to be a divine appointment, an opportunity for us to minister to this young lady who was in a difficult circumstance, who broke down, who happened to be a believer. And so, so we see this, this idea of the Good Samaritan and Jesus told the story in a context that many often leave out or forget about. And I think that the context of the story will help us understand a little bit better what's going on here. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, it says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and, he, and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite... When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound his wounds with oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, as we read these words, as we reflect on these words, would you open our understanding and open our hearts to receive your love and give your love to others? May your love abound in our lives. May 2024 be filled with love that comes from you, flowing to other people from our lives, from our church. May we be known by our love for you and our love for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Jesus calls us to love those around us both through his teaching and through his example. Jesus calls us to love those around us both through his teaching and through his example. Now let's start first of all with the big question that this lawyer had. This guy was a lawyer. Okay? Not, and not just a lawyer in, in, in the first century, a, a Jewish lawyer was not just somebody who de- dealt with matters of the law, of, of um, legalities, but he dealt with the matters of scripture, of theology. So he was an expert in what the law said. He knew what it said. He knew where to find it. He was an expert in it. And so he had a question for Jesus. And his question, Luke says, was, was not, he's not presented here as a sincere seeker really looking to know, hey, how do I get to heaven? Luke says this. He says a lawyer stood up and he put him to the test. So here's somebody who knows the scriptures thoroughly and he's going to test Jesus, the rabbi. The one who's gone about preaching and healing and doing uh, miracles and, and the kingdom of God was uh, being displayed through him. And so he, he wants to test Jesus. Now, those of you who are in education probably know what it's like when you've got a, a, a kiddo who uh, raises their hand and they got a question. But you know they're not looking for a sincere answer. They're just trying to stir something up. Y- y- y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe you parents can identify with that as well. Um, Jesus was in that situation and he was dealing with an expert of the law and he answers wisely to him. He doesn't, he doesn't just simply and immediately give him an answer and say like he told Nicodemus in John three sixteen, God, for God so loved the world that whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He doesn't do that. Okay. Instead, what he does is he Gives a, he re- responds with a question to his question. Typical Jewish response, wisdom uh, here. And, and why? Why did Jesus give a question in response to a question? Why not? Why not? So he does so. He says, <clears throat> when he asks him the question, why do I, or what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said, what is written in the law? Have, how do you read it? This guy has read the law and memorized much of the law. He asked the question, what's written in the law? You're the expert. 
What, what are you, how do you understand it? How do you read it? And his response was this. And he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your, your, and, and your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is, a, this is a good thing. When Jesus was asked a different question, when he was asked by another religious leader, uh, what's the greatest commandment? What's the very great, the most greatest, the greatest commandment in, in the scripture, in the Old Testament? Jesus quoted this. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God God created us. God rightly demands that we give our all to him in loving devotion. Okay? And so, so his response was a summary of the law and what the law demands. He also includes Leviticus chapter 19 where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. They're summed up in these two. Here's what God demands. Here's what God requires. And Jesus tells him, he says this, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that, I just I have to ask myself, is Jesus teaching work salvation here? Is Jesus teaching that someone can obey the law enough and get to heaven by by loving God enough and loving people enough? Because the scripture tells us in other places that we haven't done that and that we have failed to do that. And so Jesus, what, what he does, and, and other, other theologians point this out, is he allows this expert in the law to feel the weight of the law's demand upon him. Love God with your entire being. He knew that was the right answer. He knew that that is what he should do and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew that. But was he doing that? And I think the next verse gives us a little insight to what was going on there because he tried to justify himself. He wanting to justify himself. There's an implication here that he knew that he wasn't keeping fully the law. The law of God as God had designed. He had a, he had a correct theological answer according to Jesus. Uh, one theologian, uh, Sabidi, says this. He says that there remains a massive difference between answering correctly theologically and living perfectly practically. The lawyer knows in his head what is the correct answer, but he cannot do it with his life. What is the correct answer? And so he knew he should love God. He knew he should love people. And the Old Testament promises that, you know, you do these things, you'll experience life. You, you keep the law. And so, verse 29, it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So there must have been some internal conflict going on here. He wanted to justify himself. And this is the tendency of humanity. This is what Adam and Eve did and what humanity does. Uh, when, when we feel guilty, when we feel ashamed, when we feel exposed, when we feel that we haven't measured up, 
We tend to hide behind fig leaves and cover up our shame and nakedness. Hide from God. With self-justification or self-righteousness. So he desired to justify himself. Now, now this is a theme in Luke that comes up a couple of different times. Here it comes up, this idea of being justified or self-justification. Another place is in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him and said to them, and, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You see, there's a, there's a human tendency to justify ourselves, to try to be our own savior by working harder, by doing more. And the problem is we can't do it. We can't do it. So in in Luke chapter 18, there's another parable that Jesus gives that sheds some light on this self-justification versus divine justification. He told a parable of two men who went in to pray in the temple. Uh, he, uh, he He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Okay? And so one was a Pharisee who was, he was uh, proud about himself and he fasted and he tithed and he, and he did, did some things that he thought were pretty good before God. And, and then the other was a tax collector. Verse 13, it says, standing afar off, he wouldn't even lift up his head, his eyes to heaven, but he, would, he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So notice this theme here in Luke, this this idea of self-justification or God making somebody right. And here it's the sinner, it's the one who recognized that he has failed, he has fallen short of the standard... And he's not trusting in himself for righteousness, but he is humbly depending upon God to show him mercy. This is how we experience the righteousness of God. How we are declared righteous. Romans 5, 1, through faith in Jesus, the righteous one. And so Jesus allowed this lawyer, this expert of the law, to feel the weight of the law... And this is what the law is designed to do, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It's it's designed to silence self-justification, to stop every mouth. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This lawyer was probably feeling the weight of the law's demand and his lack of living up to the law. The law also exposes our sin. Verse 20, the next verse in Romans 3, it says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so Jesus 
was basically holding up a mirror to this expert in the law, allowing him to look at himself according to God's perfect and holy standards. Love the Lord your God with your entire being. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's squirming a little bit, and in his self-justification, he asked the question, well, well, who's my neighbor? Like, just tell me what's, what's the standard. Just give me the, you know, just the, how, how much, like who exactly do, do I have to love, and then who, who do I not have to love? And so then Jesus tells him the story of what we call the good Samaritan. And at the end of it, he, he uses the Samaritan as the one who, who does what, what is in accordance to the law of God, which was the challenge to this Jewish lawyer. And at the very end of it, he tells this Jewish lawyer to go and do likewise, to, to love his neighbor in that, in that same way that this Samaritan did. G, uh, Charles Swindolf says this. He says that Jesus ended the encounter with the challenge. Go and do the same, knowing the man could not consistently apply such an impossibly high standard of goodness, at least not day after day and person by person. Jesus' challenge put all hope of salvation by works completely out of reach. And so my, my first point here on loving your neighbor is that loving your neighbor must go beyond ethnic and religious barriers. It's significant that Jesus chooses the Samaritan in the story to be the hero, the one who did what was in accordance to the scriptures. There was a priest, there was a Levite, and in the, in the Jewish mind, it, it would have been ideal that, that those guys would have done what was right. Those guys would have showed compassion. Those guys would have stopped. They saw the man who had been, taken, who had been beaten by the robbers and taken advantage of, but they didn't stop. They didn't show compassion. It was the Samaritan, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Thabiti says this, that the lawyer never in his wildest dreams thought that God would define his neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed his compassion. And so what we see is this Samaritan loving across the barriers. And Jesus challenging the religious person to do the same. Exposing the high standard, revealing the high standard that God has that we are to live, and namely love people who are different than us. Tim Keller says this, that it's natural to want to help people who are like you, who like you, and who you like. That's natural. It doesn't take a whole lot of love to help people who are like you, who like you, and who you like. Where it gets much more difficult and challenging is to help people and love people who don't like you and who may be your enemies or, or people that... that aren't like you, that are different than you, and maybe people that you don't like. And yet Jesus calls us to love in that kind of way. 
And so he challenges us. He, he challenged this religious, this expert of the law to love in this kind of way. It's not enough to know the theological answers and get them correct. It's not enough for me to stand up here and preach a sermon about loving your neighbor and not doing it myself with practical, tangible actions to help those who are in need, regardless of their religious background, whether they be from Islam or Buddhist, whether they practice a sexual immoral lifestyle or not. I am to love them and serve them. Though I may not agree with their religion or their ethics, though there may be differences ethnically, we are to be people who cross those boundaries to love and serve and to show the love of Christ. And this was something that challenged the religious community in Jesus' day, and it irked them. It bothers them that Jesus would eat and hang, hang out with people that he hung out with, tax collectors and sinners, and that he would extend mercy and grace to them. And yet it's the heart of Christianity, of Christian practice. And in and, and the first century, well, throughout, throughout the centuries, throughout history, Christians have engaged in loving the marginalized and moved towards them. And it's been noted throughout history in various ways. Uh, the, the other thing is I want to highlight is that loving involves seeing others and responding in compassion. What do you do when you see a person hurting and in need? When you come across a person, do you just keep going or do you stop and, and allow yourself to be moved with compassion and moved with action to help them in their need? And this is how Jesus lived, by the way. When Jesus saw the multitudes, as they were like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion for them. Instead of turning his face away, he moved towards them. He moved towards the need when he saw them. And so we have a choice in those moments, whether we're on the side of the road and we see a homeless person asking for money, you know, are we going to just completely ignore the person? Don't make eye contact, right? That's one strategy that a lot of folks have. Don't make eye contact and they won't bother you. Just, you know, just keep on going. Don't look at them. Don't let them see that you saw them. It may, may save you some time. You may be able to, you know, not, not have to burden yourself to talk to the person or help the person. But it's not the kind of strategy teaches, Jesus teaches his followers to have. He teaches his followers as he modeled and as he, we see in this story to look on the person who's in need. To see them. To see them with a heart of compassion as God sees people over and over in the scripture. We see God looking upon people in their distress, in their oppression, in their pain, in their brokenness, in their lostness. He sees people and he takes action. He's moved with compassion. He uses his power to help people and we're to do the same. Loving your neighbor, it's, while it's a simple command, it's difficult for us to live out, isn't it? It gets messy. It's inconvenient. 
It's, it's not a time, efficiently with, with your time. Like you gotta, you gotta shift your schedule around. You had plans. You had something to do that day. Like the Levite or the priest. Maybe they were good religious duties to go about your day and keep on doing your thing. But it took, it, it, it cost this Samaritan something. Time. Risk. It was dangerous for him, potentially dangerous for him to stop and help this person who had been robbed on this road, that it was common for such things to happen. And so it was, it, was, it was a dangerous thing for him to do, and it was a costly thing for him to do. It was an inconvenient thing for him to do, but he saw the need, and he was moved with compassion. He allowed the compassion to move him to action in the story. So loving your neighbor is a difficult command. He uses the Samaritan as the one who did that, who lived in accordance to God's law in this moment here. But a Samaritan, verse 33, a Samaritan as he journeyed came across where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil on and oil, pouring on oil and wine, and then he sat, sat him on his animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. He took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two denarii, that's, that's a day's worth of wage. Okay, you work for a day and what, what you make in one day. Two, two days of worth of work and he gave it to the innkeeper to take care of this guy. And then he said, whatever more you spend, I will repay it when I come back. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm challenged by this example. I'm challenged that this Samaritan went through so much trouble that he reached out of his own pocket, that he took risk to help this person out in this way. By the way, the, the Samaritans in, in Jewish culture, Jews and Samaritans had animosity between one another. And this, the Jewish people saw Samaritans as spiritually compromised. Or there was tension between them. There was racial tension in between them. And, and yet Jesus is using a Samaritan as the person who's showing the love. And I love how, by the way, how the gospel tears down those racial barriers that divide people. The gospel tears those barriers down. When we let the love of Christ into our lives and flow through our lives... It should lead us to reach across the racial barriers, the religious barriers, and move towards people with compassion. Jonathan Edwards says this uh, in a sermon that he preached on the Galatians 6, 2, where it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He said these words. He said, If we are never obliged to relieve another's burdens... But when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? See, if we're going to bear one another's burdens, there's going to be some, some cost. It's going, to, it's going to challenge us. It's going to be difficult at times. And we should, we should especially love those who are in the household of God, according to 
Galatians chapter 6. We should especially love those who are Christians, who, those who are in our church, those who are in our community group, those who are in, that we are in relationship with, but we are not to exclusively love them. They're not the only ones that we're to love. We are to do good to all, especially the household of God, Galatians 6.10, right? And we see Jesus living this out. We see Jesus getting his hands dirty, getting messy, uh, adjusting his schedule to, to meet people where they were. By the way, th- this, this term, love your neighbor as yourself, came from Leviticus 19. And I just want to read the context of this because there's more to it. Um, Moses, who wrote Leviticus 19, um, he gives some other negative ways that, that we are to, um, some, some ways that, that that love is, is, is expressed um, here in verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field up to, the, to its edge. Neither shall you, you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not Deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf and put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor and defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a, a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Notice within this, this element of justice, love and justice, which in Luke chapter 11, Jesus described as weightier matters of the law. Notice the connection here with not oppressing the poor and, and taking more than you should and not, not saying uh, things that you shouldn't say um, and, 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 and uh, putting down and being insulting and hurting those who are disabled. This is a matter of justice. And justice, doing justice as the Bible describes, calls us to in Micah 6, 8, is, a way, is love and action. It's love and action. See, biblical justice is not, not merely just God uh, repaying somebody for the wrong that they've done. Get justice, right? There's that element. But then there's also like, when, like what we see in this story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. He sees somebody who's hurt, struggling, and it's a just and loving thing for him because he has to help that person who is in need. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This week we are going into a fast. Three days. And I hope you've thought about what you're going to do for that. Whether you're going to 
Just do water or do one meal or two meals or juice. Give up something so that you can spend time praying and seeking God's face. I want to encourage you to read Isaiah 58 this week. And in Isaiah 58, God describes the kind of fast that he wants among his people. And one of the elements of the fast that he has chosen in Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7, he says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him? Not to hide yourself from your own flesh? This is describing doing justice and loving your neighbor. And when we fast, we deny ourselves. We make room for God to fill our lives, to commune with him, to seek him in prayer. And we make room to to think about and consider and care for our neighbor. This is what Christians do. This is what those who know Jesus do. They love people. Love is a sign, it's evidence, it's fruit of those who have been born again. Those who truly have inherited eternal life. John says this, and this is my next point here. This is from 1 John. This is explicit here in 1 John. Loving your neighbor is a sign of having eternal life. He says this, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. See, God fills his people with his love. He gives us love in our hearts and in our lives. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of being a child of God. Now, I I think it's important for me today to highlight that there's only one person who has done this perfectly. Maybe you feel the weight of these words today, thinking about, as we reflect on our lives this past year, this time of year, I I tend to do more reflection, examine myself, and examine how things have gone and how relationships have gone. I look through the lens of love. Have I loved God well, loved others well this year? Maybe you feel the weight of a lot where you've lacked in that. Maybe you feel, uh, as, as Paul says, that, to, to, that you owe love to people. Maybe some areas that you need to make things right. Make some adjustments in your life. Jesus embodied love for God and love for neighbor. We see in the Gospels, it's explicit, it's implicit and explicit. In Luke's gospel, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 22 says that, he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus went to the cross and he laid his life down in love. He laid his life down for you and me to be the sacrifice for our sins. John chapter 13 explicitly mentions, verse 2, having loved his own who were, with, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When he was on the cross, being beaten and suffering a terrible death, 
He prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even in his most painful, difficult moments, being unjustly murdered, beaten, he's praying, he's interceding for those who are harming him. Jesus displayed, he embodied love for God, love for neighbor. As John, we looked at last week, John 1 describes him as full of grace and truth. Jesus has kept the law perfectly, and he's the only one. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. And you and I are more like that guy who was beaten and taken advantage of and left for dead in need and unable to help ourselves in need of rescue, and Jesus comes along. It says at the end of Luke chapter 9 that he set his face towards Jerusalem. In the rest of the gospel of Luke, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem because he's on a mission to save, to seek and save the lost. And he would do so by laying his life down for us. Jesus stepped into our world. He got dirty. He experienced the mess of this world. He had to bear with obnoxious immature, selfish sinners in the world. And he loved them well. And he laid his life down for you and me where we have failed to love as we ought. Jesus has loved perfectly. And through faith, he gives us his righteousness. We're made right with God. We're loved by God perfectly. And we didn't earn any of it. We don't earn our way to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. Romans 6.23 But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what he has brought to our lives. But we would be missing it. If we would not, if we don't not first receive what he's done, receive the gift, honor him for it, trust in him and him alone, Christ alone for salvation. And we would be missing it if we didn't respond in love for God and love for people as well. Because now as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who enables us to love others. To live like Jesus lived. To love like Jesus loved. And we're doing it not to try to get eternal life. We're doing it because we have eternal life. Because we are his. Because we are his children. Because we belong to him eternally. And he has rescued and redeemed us. We have been born again. And so, I'll just share with you. You know, I, I started off and I mentioned sometimes that where I've been like the Good Samaritan, I've stopped and helped people in some ways. But there's been many a times where I have been like the priest or the Levite, just busy, just passing people up, seeing a need, not stopping. Uh, and, and one of those times was, was Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve. We had a nice Christmas Eve with the family. Went to a Christmas Eve service, wonderful time, worshiping the Lord. Went and saw Christmas lights. We were coming home. It was time to eat. We were all hungry. We had a wonderful time. 
And there was a homeless person right down here at the corner at Centerville at 635. We're turning to go home, ready to go home and get some food. I see him and I say his name. I know him, Billy. And he came and got some, some teeth pulled a few months ago at our dental day. And we got to hear his story and tears. He just shared his story. And, and I just kept on driving. Like I said, hey, Billy. And he's like, Reverend, Reverend. I just kept on driving. And I wanted to stop, but I wanted my family to get some food, be happy. And I wanted to go home and have a nice time with my family. And I just like, I was like, oh, I got to, I got to turn around. I got to turn around. And so I just kept on going. I didn't turn around. And so my, and my plan was, okay, I'm going to go back after we get settled at home. I'm going to go back. I'm going to help them out, bring some food back or what, you know, whatever's going on. I, and uh, and I when I got there he wasn't there so I missed I missed the opportunity that I had on Christmas Eve to just show some love just just simply just stop I see a brother stop help a brother out and perhaps you can relate to that perhaps you can relate to that story and I think next time I w- I want to do things different when I see somebody. That's in need. I want to stop. I want to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit and stop when he tells me to stop to help somebody out. And so let me just make a couple points of application in closing. First of all, allow margin in your life and be flexible to adjust your schedule to care for the needy around you. Okay, I read from the Leviticus uh, 19, and in and, and Leviticus 19, God told the Israelites, and, and their, they were a farming community, agriculture community, they had fields, and he told them not to harvest all the way up to the corner of the fields. In other words, they were to leave the corners, they were to leave margin in the fields so that the poor could come and take food from the corners of the fields and that was just kind of that's what that's what you do that's what the law teaches to do that's a practical way to show love to those who don't have you leave margin and so leave margin in your life financially to help those who are in need leave margin in 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 your life to be able to serve those who are in need and be flexible needs are going to pop up left and right around you and i i mean we see jesus you know, stuff happening left and right. People needing him to heal, needing him to help out in some way. And he was flexible. And he, he followed the leading of uh, the, the, the spirit. And, and he only did what he saw the father doing. And he kept in step with, with the father's will for his life. And so let us be like Jesus and be flexible to adjust our schedules. To care for those who are needy around us. Remember the words in, on judgment that Jesus described in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Right? He, he, he says all these things he, to the righteous. They say, well, when did we do that? And he says, when, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. To the unrighteous, he's, they, they say, you know, when did we see you like that? He says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Okay? And so our love for others reflects our genuine love for God.
And lastly, reflect, re- reflect upon and receive the love of Christ demonstrated towards you and allow it to flow to you, through you, to others. We can't give out something that we first haven't received. We have to receive it. First John tells us that we love, we love because he first loved us. And he's given us a source of love to live our lives in. Amen? And so let's take some time to reflect in prayer as the, the worship team comes up and allow our lives to be tuned to the love of God. So I play the guitar, and frequently I have to tune my guitar because it gets out of tune. And if I try to play it when it's out of tune, it doesn't sound good. And we need our lives tuned to the love of God. We need to regularly look at the life of Jesus and tune ourselves to his standard of living. Tune ourselves, uh, adjust our lives by the power of the Spirit to his way of loving people. Looking, listening, responding to those who are in need. So, Lord, would you help us do that in 2023? Fill our lives with your love, God. May we see how deeply you have loved us, how perfectly you have loved us. And when we're tempted to judge others, when we're tempted to hold a grudge towards others and condemn others and despise others and look on others with contempt, may we remember how you have been gracious and patient and loving towards us. And may we forgive as we have been forgiven. And we love as we have been loved so that you might be glorified in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.